0: From Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 and I would encourage you especially with this scripture this is true of all the scriptures but I, I feel it like especially with these scriptures uh, that these are things that we uh, experience and that's how we come to an understanding. not just that we have our minds changed or we're convinced uh, but we come to experience what God is doing through these promises of Jesus when Jesus saw the crowds he went up the mountain For your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us into the reality of your words and that you would create the reality of peace in our lives. We can only become peacemakers by your grace. And we ask for that transformation in our lives. We ask also that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing to you, O Lord. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I spoke a couple weeks ago about another one of these Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I said, this is the one I actually put to use the most or that I call on God to fulfill the most often. And I do it exactly like you heard me in the prayers today, that when we have a loss in our midst, uh, that I begin praying for God's comfort to come. And I pray that knowing that God will do it because God has said, ask me and I will do it. Because God has said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and God is the comforter who comes. This, for today, blessed are the peacemakers, has been probably my, my second uh, most used in like public ministry, um, and, and I realized this week I might not be using it right, or I'm using it at least less than it could be. Blessed are the peacemakers uh, is something that I have prayed, God, let us be peacemakers. And unfortunately, the way I have prayed it has been really about us as Christians remembering who we are and whose we are in our relationships and in our words, uh, especially on social media and especially in our political speech. It's kind of sad that we're there. We need God's help in those places. The church needs God's help to be a better witness in these places. But that's not all that is going on here. And I think that's certainly nothing that that the original hearers of Jesus were thinking about. Jesus wants to help us to show forth our witness and our peacemaking uh, and and not causing undue conflicts uh, with our words and with our witness. But for the original hearers, they are hearing something different than we tend to hear when we hear the word peace. His original hearers in this audience and probably other audiences, many of the things in scripture Jesus likely repeated. That's why the disciples remember them. So he likely said this multiple times to multiple audiences, and most of them were Jewish audiences who knew the word of God internally and well. So when Jesus says peace, they don't just think, uh, you know, some dictionary definition. They think of the picture of peace that is given from the scriptures. And the picture of peace that is given from the scriptures is, is twofold. The first of them is the thing that we usually mean when we say peace. It is a place where there is not violence and there is physical safety. And so we see this, especially in the scriptures. I found this week as I was looking at this and how often it shows up in the scriptures, hundreds of times. Uh, But the word peace used in that way about physical safety, about the end of war, about the end of violence, tends to occur in places where there is a whole lot of violence happening. And so it's, it's kind of clustered in that way in the books of the Bible where there's lots of war going on. Uh, so the Book of Joshua, the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second King, Chronicles. Uh, these are places where people are experiencing physical violence in their lives and they need God's help. And I just want to say, and I want to underline, this is necessary to the peacemaking that Jesus is talking about. This is, is part of it and an essential part of it, and without this kind of physical peace, we are understanding what Jesus is about. And so this is something that we pray for, that we work towards, uh, that we get involved in. And it's something also that we rely on God to do, believing that in God's kingdom, when God fully reigns, that Jesus, after all, his title is Prince of Peace. And that doesn't mean just peace in our hearts and war in the streets. That means peace. It means safety. It means security. The other way that we use peace, that shalom, this Hebrew word, one of the few Hebrew words that we tend to know, uh, shalom means peace. And the other way that it means is this thing that God does, and actually in in the Hebrew mind, it, it is basically synonymous with salvation. Peace The presence of God, the work of God, the salvation of God, that kind of peace. And so I have some scriptures just to show us how that is used, uh, starting in the Psalms. And so Zoe, could you show that first uh, first one there? Uh, So we have Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. I don't know if the red is showing up there, but if there's a blank spot. Let us sleep in blank. That word's peace. I'm not sure how it showed up on the screens back there. Uh, You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. And so this this kind of marries the two sides of shalom, that there is the physical peace and the physical security. We hear that about grain and wine. You you know where your meals are coming from. That's part of safety and part of of well-being and part of what God gives us. But also that idea of sleep. I will lie down and sleep in peace. And it's connected to this idea of, of safety, peace and safety. And it's something that God provides And so it it is that that physical thing, meeting our physical needs, and it's something beyond that. Because after all, if we speak about, how did you sleep last night? Did you have a peaceful night's rest? We're not saying, uh, did anybody break into your house last night while you were sleeping? We're we're saying something deeper than that. We're saying our experience, uh, did we experience the peace of God? Did we experience kind of true rest, not just rest for our bodies, but rest for our souls? That kind, of, that kind of rest, that kind of peace. You can go to the next one. This is also in the Psalms, Psalm 85, verses 7 and 8. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what the Lord will speak, for God will speak peace to God's people. So the last uh, psalm did this. This psalm does this. There's this mark of Hebrew poetry. Uh, we think about English poetry. It has particular rhythms, particular rhyme scheme, that sort of thing. Uh, Hebrew poetry has this thing called parallelism, which is basically repetition, using different words to make you focus on, on a particular reality. And the repetition here is, grant us your salvation, speak peace to God's people. So salvation and peace are being brought together so we recognize that they're both the same thing and for us as Christians what that means is that the peace of God uh, is is part of the salvation of God it's something that we can expect it's something that we can experience and it's something that we should bring into our understanding of salvation and bring into our understanding of the gospel itself that the good news of Jesus Christ is that God's peace is coming that is part of God's reign Let's go on to the next one. We'll get into a different part of Scripture. This is Isaiah, uh, the longest uh, prophetic book that we have in the Old Testament. He, again, is speaking in this, in this uh, poetic language. Uh, so we'll see this parallels again. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. The effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. So we continue to see this, uh, this connection, these parallels that somehow in the mind of Isaiah, who is sharing with us the mind of God, justice and righteousness and peace are all interconnected. They're all speaking to the same reality. Isaiah never calls it this, but Jesus is clear about what this is. It's the kingdom of God or the reign of God or the kingdom of heaven. There are various translations and ways that Jesus speaks but Isaiah is talking about the same reality as Jesus is talking about it. And the reality is that when God comes, there is peace. Where justice comes, there is peace. And we've even got this added definition, and it speaks to our experience. Then when we speak to one another and, and we say that, that we were going through a particular situation, something awful has just happened, a, a loved one has died, or we've gotten uh, bad news, uh, like a, the... The house we were trying to buy fell through or our funding or our employment got messed up or all kinds of things um, and we're asking for God to be present sometimes the external situation remains kind of unchanged but our internal perspective of it shifts because God joins us in it and we experience quietness and we experience trust and we know that we didn't create it for ourselves because we were super work tough but the God has given us this gift of peace in the midst of these things The gift of God's presence and peace feels like quietness, feels like trust. Let's go on to the next one as we see um, how how the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected on this idea. I I repeat it all the time, but, but the Old Testament and the New Testament, that makes it seem like these are more separate than they are. It really should be, you turn the page And it's just another page of scripture where you turn the page backward and it's just another page of scripture. There is there is one continuing work of God. There isn't this hard separation between this. And we see this in the way the New Testament authors like Jesus and like Paul, who wrote Romans that I'm about about to read, um, that, that they reference the scriptures. And what they're talking about is the Old Testament. When they say the Bible or they say the scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament. Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces, uh, who, who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation. Again, we see this, this parallelism of the poetry of the prophecy, peace and good news and salvation are all one. This this reality and, and that helps us out, especially as we make the shift into the New Testament, that good news that we see there in Isaiah, when it gets translated into the Greek of the New Testament, it is gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings the gospel, who announces salvation. And, and in Romans, Paul is talking about the same thing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of those who bring the gospel. And when Paul references scripture, we can know, because he, he just kind of assumes that we know more than we tend to, uh, but we can know that we, he's, he's referencing the whole idea that Paul knows that the peace of God and the salvation of God are, are two facets of the same reality of that kingdom of God. And that when we're bringing the good news, we're bringing the good news of salvation, salvation from our sins, salvation from death, uh, but also Salvation from violence and bringing us into a new reality that is unimaginably different from our world. A world where peace reigns. And this changes our uh, sense of evangelism. How do we share the gospel? When we share the gospel, part of it must be that the gospel brings peace. That it brings peace between people who are at odds with one another. That it brings peace between me and God or humanity and God. That it brings peace between groups of people and other groups of people. And we see this in, in, uh, in the way that God's works reconciliation through history, through people who are once at odds. Paul, who wrote Romans, one day he was persecuting Christians. The next day he was preaching about Christ because he had this encounter with Christ. And he joins the people that he was once enemies with. Because God has done it. Because God has done it. We see this in, the, in other ways when, when there's been rest, uh, like racial reconciliation in the United States. A lot of that happened through, through Christian theology being applied to the streets. And, and people coming to realize God is working peace between people who were once far off. Now we are brought near. Now we see that we are called to be children of one family. How f- how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Zoe, can you go to the next one? Um, these are just all these places we see as we look through New Testament. Maybe if you read your Bible this week, you'll see, oh, I, peace, is, peace is here too. And peace is here too, wherever you happen to be reading. Glory to God in the highest in heaven and on earth, peace. So the angels who are singing about Christ's birth, they say that he has brought peace this is something uh, to, to get excited about and to sing about. God has brought peace. Luke seven fifty. This is one of Jesus' healings. And you see how Jesus uh, brings healing and salvation and peace together. That they are the gifts of God and the work of God. And that when peace comes, it's just as miraculous as when a healing comes. If we have a hard time thinking about how peace could come to those places in our lives. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or a chapter later, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here the scriptures are are revealing to us salvation and healing. That move towards wholeness is something that God is doing. And and they are actually the same thing. That salvation means healing, literally. And is connected to this concept of peace, that peace is coming alongside. And let's let's go to the next one and just see how centrally this rests on Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Or Ephesians even puts it even even more strongly, um, Paul writes to us that he himself is our peace. Christ himself is peace. That he is the one who comes between uh, us and our neighbor and allows peace to come between us and God and creates peace. That Jesus is this peacemaker. We can even look at this word peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And it's not just blessed are those who experience peace because peace would be the blessing itself. But blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who take this up as their work. There have been peacemakers throughout the scriptures. But the peacemaker is Jesus Christ. And the peacemaking That he does is that he goes to the cross and he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That he makes peace, that we were enemies of God and Christ has made us friends of, of God. Christ has made us family of God. That he does it by his death and he's still active. That it wasn't a one and done thing, but he's still active. It's still being worked out in our lives. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now I've kind of explained what, what the audiences would have heard when they heard the word peace. They hear shalom. They hear about the end of violence in a world that they know has plenty of violence, whether for the Roman occupying so- soldiers or when they hear Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan who gets uh, assaulted on the road from one place to another. Places aren't safe. The world's not safe. And God is calling for peace. But they also hear the part maker, peace maker. And this is a word that just as peace has to do with with God and only God can bring it and only God can do it. God is the original maker. God is the creator of all things. And the the creation of God and the creative nature of God is something that we see in our lives and in other people's lives. And so we can can rightly say that, that as Jesus, as he's growing up and he has his earthly father, Joseph, and he's learning how to make things with his hands... That's carpentry, stone masonry, skilled, skilled work, skilled labor with his hands. But he also learns from his heavenly father, his, his true father, what it means to create. Because the scriptures say that Jesus was at the creation and there is nothing that is that was not created through him. In the same way, we are, we are as Christians, what that means is we imitate Christ by the grace of God. We see what Christ does. He makes peace where there was no peace. He reconciles groups together. He reconciled one individual to another individual. He reconciles uh, outsiders to the body. He reconciles humanity to God. And this is this, this action, this, this craft, this handiwork. Blessed are those who make peace who knit peace, who craft peace, who create peace, who cook peace, whatever your craft or your creativity is, you can use it for peace. And we know that because we start saying these things, and, and what are we doing when we make a blanket for another? We're trying to work on that relationship. What are we doing if we, uh, if we craft or, or knit those little hat, little uh, hats for little heads at a, at a NICU? We're trying to create peace, and we're extending the kingdom of God's peace. What are we doing when we, when we make a casserole or make a soup and we give it to our neighbor because they just had surgery? We're making peace. We're sending forth peace. We're crafting peace. We're cooking peace. We're getting our hands in that work of peace. And whenever we do that, we are joining in the work of God. We are being those peacemakers. And so what I think this does is that it changes our witness to the world in very important ways. It tells those of us that, that are very passionate about God reconciling different groups of people to other groups of people that, yes, God is on board with that and God is doing that work. And when we enter into that work, we are doing God's work with God. And it also tells us that those of us that are very passionate about sharing the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, saying to people what Christ has done in the world and what Christ has done in my life and the transformation that God is doing in my church or my community or my family, when we share that gospel, we must make sure that we're sharing that this is a gospel of peace. Because if we don't include peace, we're not including the fullness of the gospel, We share this peace wherever we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. All of these beatitudes are so very, very practical. And the needs that they addressed have been with humankind since as long as there have been humans. And each one of them, as we've gone through them, we have seen that as Christ distills the message... He's not speaking a new message. We saw that this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, that was going on long before Jesus was born of Mary. It's in the Psalms, it's in Isaiah, it's in the continuing work of God. So one, we see this is not new with Jesus. Two, we see that this is an invitation to all of us. That when Jesus speaks any of these beatitudes, he's not saying blessed to those among you. He is saying, I invite you to be a peacemaker because you will experience a particular blessing of God when you become a peacemaker. And three, finally, so it's not new. It is an invitation. And three, it is seen most of all in Jesus Christ himself. Christ, what are you doing in terms of peace and what are you calling me to in terms of peace? Christ at his table gathers a man who will betray him. Is already set on the payment. Christ invites to his table a man who will deny him. Christ invites to his table a whole set of disciples that all of them will leave him at his hour of need. And Christ invites us to his table as well. Christ is this peacemaker. And he even does it when it is sacrificial for him. I believe this matters for the way that we live our lives, that when we look to the scriptures and say, blessed are the peacemakers, it might well be, and I think it is, that peacemaking is a particular gift that is accentuated in particular people. That some of us are are better at that than others, and that's fine, but I think all of us are called to it. Because all of us are in relationships. And I think that there's a powerful witness to the reality of what we're talking about when peacemaking is going on in our midst. If our churches are known as places where peace is happening, where people are being reconciled to each other, where people are quick to forgive and quick to ask forgiveness, as, people, as places where people are, are doing the hard work of relationship. As people are preferring the needs of others over themselves, then that gives a witness to the world that that what they're talking about, what they're teaching about, this Jesus that they proclaim is real because something impossible is happening in their midst. People are growing in a relationship, people are forgiving one another, people are not holding grudges. This sort of work is going on. And conversely, if a church is known for, for the way that its people don't get along, or the way that its people don't get along with each other within the church, or that church doesn't get along with its neighbors. Very concretely, I've served in, in multiple churches where the next door neighbors of the church were no fans of the church. That's a problem. That's a problem. Because we're supposed to show a witness to the world. Peace is one of those things that everybody on earth wants. Everybody on earth wants. But many of us don't believe it's possible. The church is one of those places where it's the impossible is becoming possible. Not because we will it, not because we try harder, but because we fall on the mercies of God and say, God, this is an impossible work. I haven't spoken to this person for so long, or or I've been had broken relationships since they did this, or said this, or I did this, or I said this. God, will you heal? God, will you help me not to give up because you haven't given up? I recognized, I, I didn't notice when I was kind of writing the sermon, but I noticed from people's faces at Taylor Ridge, like, this is, this brings situations to mind in our lives. And my prayer is that it would be the Spirit bringing situations. Situations that that God is saying, would you invite me into here? Would you not give up here? Would you cling to hope here? And that it wouldn't be God God saying, well, you should be ashamed because you're a bad person because you're at odds with whatever. God gives us hope. God doesn't say that you're a, a bad person. God says, yeah, you make mistakes. Yeah, you need to turn. You need to repent from your sins. You need to turn to becoming a peacemaker. But there's always hope and there's always life. And there is never, ever, ever giving up on God's part. And so let us pray that we become a people of peace. And as we do, let us find that in our midst that we experience being the children of God and we experience that others want to know about that peace, want to see that peace for themselves. And I'll just give like another um, very practical thing the biggest breaks that we have with people are actually big. They're not small things to God. And so I hope you don't say hear the pastor saying that the big thing in your life and the horrific thing that I really can't imagine is a small thing to God and you should just say it never happened and everything's fine. I'm not saying that. There are people that do dangerous things to us that, that, that we need to be at a distance for the rest of this life from them. There are things that go on between people that we will never be best friends again that doesn't mean that peace is impossible. That doesn't mean that we can say, I, we will never cross paths again, but may God be with you on your path. This is happening in our lives. And, and so just very, very practically, sometimes I have to pray, God, would you help me to want to want to pray for this person? <laughs> because I'm not there yet. Because I, if I am honest to God, I can say, I, I just don't, feel that way. I don't feel that love. I know that you do, and and you can do the blessing. But will you continue to move my heart in that direction? Would you help me to one day join you in that love? And maybe it'll be in the next life for some of the things we suffer. But we don't give up, because God is the peacemaker in our midst. Let's go to the next slide, and let's enter into the idea that these are invitations for us, that they might be become our reality. Uh, so you can see that I'm going to be doing uh, that later part. I actually will invite you to stand as we do this, as you are able. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Lord Jesus, may we enter your invitations and find that you are faithful and true to give us the overwhelming grace that we need in all the situations of our lives. Would you give us your peace? And would you give us the ability to recognize it when it comes to give thanks and to pass it on? We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.